Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, we're on vacation this week, but don't worry. We've got a lot of new shows for you each and every day. And today we begin our series with Rays Radio play-by-play man Dave Wills. What do the Rays need to add to make their push for the American League East crown? Is it a two-team race with the Rays and the Yankees? Or will the Red Sox get back into it? And how has Kevin Cash grown into his job as Rays manager? We've got Dave Wills to break it all down for you, as well as who is the most beloved player of all time for the Bucks, for the Rays, for the Lightning. We've got all that and more on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, do you want to be a millionaire? Well, for 30 years, Howard and Sue Million have brought the cool comfort of air conditioning to the entire Tampa Bay area, making thousands of residents millionaires with their quality products and service. Now, Millionaire is currently offering 0% interest for 72 months on qualifying equipment. Give them a call now at 727-862-2100 to take advantage of this great offer on brand new quality train air conditioning units or to schedule service or maintenance. Call 727-862-2100. 2100 today. Trust the masters of comfort, millionaire. With regards to this team, obviously what they did at the end of last year and the team evolved. I mean, they kept adding pieces and it was different when Tommy Pham came, uh, you know, from August on and so forth or whenever he got there. Uh, and now they've kind of picked up from that. Because so when you win 90 games, I don't think anybody saw that coming necessarily, especially with the, the advent of the opener and some of the things the Rays do that has really uh, sort of caught on and changed baseball in many ways. Um, but this team, almost I mean, from the start, the pitching is what has jumped out. Uh, um, and I think that they've had uh, some, some great players uh, leap out as well, Austin Meadows and some others we can talk about. But I think the constant has been just how good the pitching staff has been. Pitching's been tremendous. And, you know, it, obviously, you always look at the starters first. And, you know, what Tyler Glass now did coming out of the gate, almost forget he's on the team. Yeah. I mean, you know, he, what he did, it feels like it was a season ago, what he did in the month of April. But to go from what he was – in March to where he was working with his hitch and his uh, delivery and trying to get guys to, uh, you know, throw off their timing. Uh, then he shows up in the very first start of 2019 and he doesn't have a hitch anymore in the first pitch. Um, and then starts to do what he did was just absolutely incredible pitching to the tune of being the American league pitcher of the month in April. Yeah. And, you know, and then Charlie Morton has been just kind of everything is advertised. Uh, Blake is still trying to get his footing. Um, I'd still like to see, I think what happens with some people, and you know, we're all guilty of it, is you do something good, and then maybe you get the old uh, Tim Taylor tool time thing going, where you think you got to add more power, you got to do something to be better. Whereas you know what you did last year was good enough, and probably is still going to be good enough to get guys out. Tiger Woods wanted to change his swing. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. yeah. So you know, it's one of the you know, it's one of those things where I think you know Blake's still trying to get his footing. My, my biggest thing right now, I'm nervous about, and then well, Yanni Chirinos and Jalen Beeks have done. Just um, incredible job, too, working as either the bulk guy or when Yanni gets a chance to start. So the big question about our pitching staff right now, you asked me this on March 1st, you can ask me this on July 1st, it's still our bullpen. Yeah. Um, our bullpen is not 
where it needs to be. And our, our bullpen has some pieces in there that are pretty good. Mm-hmm. But I, I think our bullpen is still going to be – we're going to go as far as our bullpen takes us. And mm-hmm. uh, the starters can only do so much, and especially the way we don't allow our starters to go 125, 130 pitches and the way we utilize the opener still. Uh, we're only going to go as far as our bullpen is going to take us. And most of us have watched a team where you need to have like four tied or head guys. I don't think we have that right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, if I had a, a list of things I'd like to see add to this team for sure, I'd love a been there, done that bullpen guy. I think you go back, and I know every year is different, but you do go back to that 08 team. And when the tide began to turn was in 07 when we traded Ty Wigington to get right. Dan Wheeler. You right. brought in a guy who had been through – Everything with the Astros, he'd been through stuff as far as the playoffs are concerned, the World Series. We plugged him in. He helped some of the young guys. And then we brought in also Troy Percival and uh, Trevor Miller, who also had some experience. And then you started adding some more pieces. So mm-hmm. uh, bullpen, I'd like to see us uh, definitely see what we can add. But, uh, you know, the job that Glasnow did while he was healthy, the job that Charlie's been doing when he uh, since day one. And then, you know, Blake, Blake can kick it into another year. We know it. Even last year at this time, Blake wasn't Blake Snell's Cy Young Award no, winner yet. not yet. So, you know, it, it, if it kicks in, uh, pitching has been the biggest reason why we are where we're at. Our defense hasn't been quite where we need it to be, and our offense has been a little fluctuating, but, you know, that's usually the way it is with the Tampa Bay Rays. Yeah, I think if you had the uh, bullpen equivalent of a Charlie Morton, obviously you guys would be in good shape. Somebody has been there, done that. But part of it is, too, though, how do you know what you have unless you put some of those guys like Jose Alvarado and – Castilla and some of those mm-hmm. guys in those situations, Agreed. right? Give and, them the experience. And I think that's what, you know, we, that's why I think we ended up winning 90 games last year is, uh, first of all, you know, Kevin did a wonderful job. I mean, managing uh, not only the actual games, but uh, managing a lot of the stuff that was going on behind the scenes. I mean, all the trades that we made last spring training because of the way things worked out. Uh, you know, I'm a little, I'm a little gruff when, or, you know, gruff when it comes to it right away. I would tell people we weren't exactly trading the 27 Yankees. I mean, we were a team that finished under 500. Our MVP hit 239 with like 19 homers. I mean, you know, he, he would have been an MVP on almost any other team. So it wasn't like we were giving away a, a lot of great, uh, great, great players. And don't be fooled by mediocrity. That's my other thing. I mean, don't get fooled by mediocrity. We were 80 and 82. Yeah. So we moved guys like Corey Dickerson and Steven Souza Jr. And then Evan, obviously. Uh, before that, and so there was some, some, you know, Jake Odorizzi. Mm-hmm. Not to say that those are mediocre players, but they just led us to mediocrity. So it was time to make some movements, open up some avenues, so that a Jake Bowers can come, that a Willie Adams could come, that we could find out, um, you know, so for some other guys, and then the pitchers, Castillo, and so on. So uh, about whatever it was, a month and a half into the season, we traded Alex Colome and uh, Denard Span, who, you know, we were thinking, I thought we were going to start to get good. Now you're, you're really trying to make us bad? But we stopped. Kevin stopped us and said, this is what we're going to do. And he gave us a heads up on it. And mm-hmm. it was two or three hours before the trade happened. And he gave us an opportunity to chew on it. He goes, this is going to be good for us. Because it did open up a lane for Diego Castillo to come, who became a pretty pretty darn good reliever for us last year. And then it opened up a lane for us to start to you know, get a couple other guys in there offensively. And then a little bit later on, we traded Chris Archer, which I think needed to happen. And that haul that we got back, I would have taken any one of those guys. Much less, much less all three. Yeah, three, three more three now. Three, Shane, yeah. Shane Boz is supposed to be a pretty impressive young pitcher, too. So the job that Eric Neander and Hein Bloom did uh, last year on the fly to, to remake this team, and then it gets to 90 wins. I could totally mm-hmm. understand why we didn't really do anything other than bring in, you know, Charlie Morton and Mike Zanino and, um, you know, did a couple of things to where we brought in some veterans and, 
Uh, Avi Garcia is a guy I think has been an unsung sign during the offseason. Because they've kept the clubhouse a a cohesive clubhouse. You can mess that up with one or two people. We found that out in 2009 Mm -hmm. when uh, we thought we were adding on, and we actually kind of didn't do it with Pat Burrell. So uh, I thought Eric and Haim and those guys did a wonderful job of adding while not taking anything away. And given a group that won 90 games a chance to showcase their talents here and see if they're going to be a year better or just a year older. And in some cases, we have been just a year older. And so I'm thinking right now, you've played almost 66 games or you're not quite to the halfway point, but you're getting close. And, you know, all right, we've given this guy a chance and he hasn't quite taken that next step. But we've given this guy a chance. Not to say that it's not going to happen, but maybe it's time for us to go out there and find that extra bullpen piece. Maybe, you know, once you think you have pitching, you go get more pitching. Yeah. And uh, is there a starter available maybe to help out until Tyler comes back? Because you don't know if, how he's going to come back after not pitching for almost 10 weeks. So um, it, it's going to be an interesting time here before the trade deadline at the end of July. But, you know, what, 15 games over 500? If somebody would have told me on March 1st that we'd be 15 games over 500, Matt Duffy wouldn't play a game. Joey Wendell would play eight games. Uh, you'd lose Zanino for a month. You'd lose... Tyler Glass now for almost two months. Um, you know, Blake Snell would have more losses than wins. Uh, I don't think too many people would think that this team would be 15 games over five. Sign me up. They've had six catchers play in this six, season. Already, another which, point, yes. Which is mm-hmm. unbelievable. And, and even finding a guy like uh, Darno um, that has done a good job. What do you make of uh, what has happened with, uh, with a guy like Austin Meadows? How do you explain? You know, you know always a pretty good player. I mean, you always heard yeah. good things about him, uh, you know, when you – get ready to play the Pirates in spring training, you start reading up on the Pirates and you'd say, all right, well, here's their top prospect, Austin Meadows. Here's yeah. their top prospect. And uh, I even go back to last year where, you know, when we got him, uh, somebody told me that uh, Joe Madden said that when he saw him earlier in the year when First he did month, play, yeah. Joe Madden pre- predicted he was going to be the National League Rookie of the Year That's right. and then got hurt and he hasn't been able to stay on the field. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's a lot to like about Austin's game. I, I, th- I still think he's maturing as a player. I think he's a guy offensively. That it's still going to get stronger. He's still young. Yeah, he, he, he can hit for power, but he's. I think he's only going to get better. Mm-hmm. I think there's going to be some game uh, things where, again, he's athletic on the bases, and I'd like to see him maybe be a little more aggressive at times. I'd like to see his athleticism play out in the outfield a little yeah, more. I think right now doing. he likes the DH or he's okay DHing, but you know he's. I think he's still too young to be pigeonholed as a, a DH. So I'd like to see some of that athleticism we see at the plate and on the bases start to play out a little more on the field. And become more of an impact player, maybe defensively too. But uh, if he's not in the All Star game, you know, barring a, a tremendous, uh, you know, slowdown here over the next several weeks, that's an absolute misjustice because uh, he, he is one of the top players right now in the league. There's no doubt about it. He'll be a uh, starter as it stands. The other guy uh, that you got credit to raise for the foresight of signing him, locking him up for the future is Brandon Lau. What a job he's done. Still qualifies as a, as a yep. rookie, right? I didn't see that coming. Uh, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, there are some things you see coming and then you don't from our front office, which is probably a good thing. That's why they're good and I'm <laughs> a broadcaster. But uh, I, I didn't see us signing Brandon to a long-term deal. I mean, I, you know, he came up last year and uh, got going after a, a stroll at the beginning. And I remember, you know, going up to Kevin Cash and I'm going, you know, he, he is going to get going, right? And he says, oh, he's got lightning quick hands. He's going to be – he'll be fine. And sure enough, he started to get going. Had a great, you know, minor league season. So uh, pretty impressed with what he has done. And then I, I'm even more impressed with the fact that I think he's played second base better than I thought well, he did. Yeah. Now the question is how much second base is he going to play if Joey Wendell comes back or when Joey comes back and mm-hmm. when Matt Duffy comes back. Can he transition over to first base and become a, 
a serviceable, serviceable or maybe even more than serviceable first baseman uh, and maybe play some time in the outfield. But, you know, he's got some swing and miss in him, but when he does hit the ball and, uh, you know, he's a student of the game. He's a, he's a nice player. Uh, that ball goes a long way for such a small package. I mean, he hit a couple in Boston that, you know, we go there a lot and we don't see the big boys do it twice in a year. He did it twice in a game in that area in the triangle. So he, he can be a difference maker with the bat. There's no doubt about it. Kevin Cash took over from Joe Madden, who who had taken the team to the World Series, a very mm-hmm. popular manager, might be in the Hall of Fame one day, who knows. But not an easy thing to do with a, with a club that was being completely rebuilt, a young ball club. What have you seen from Kevin Cash that you think makes him so good at, at, at handling of this job? Right? Well, there's an incredible amount of confidence with Kevin that uh, at first I didn't know was there because, you know, my first – you know, acquaintance with Kevin was as a 2005 backup to the backup to the backup <laughs> catcher. Right. And, uh, you know, nice guy, real nice guy. As a matter of fact, I remember that offseason, seeing him at uh, Nordstrom and International Plaza with his wife, Emily, and, you know, they couldn't have been, he couldn't have been a nicer guy. And then he disappears from us and goes to Boston. And, you know, it's a, a serviceable backup, if not a good backup, with the Red Sox and then kind of traveled around a little bit, Yankees, and I think with the Rangers before he retired. And then he was a, a – you know, rover, roving, not uh, a scout, an advanced scout a little bit for the Blue Jays. Mm-hmm. And so Andy and I would see him in media dining at a few places. And again, good guy, but never really got an idea of what kind of a baseball guy he was. You know, very quiet, you know, yeah. not not, uh, not a very unassuming guy. And so now he becomes the manager of the Rays and you're thinking, all right, well, that's just kind of the way things are going right now. Where you know, the front office wants a guy that is going to pretty much do what they want him to do. And, you know, everybody thought that. I mean, a lot of people think that. And then, you know, you go from the very eloquent and well-spoken Joe Madden, who when Andy and I would go in there for our seven-minute pregame show, would come out 45 minutes later because we <laughs> talked about everything from how his bike ride went to how our day went, where we went to lunch, where he went to lunch. Uh, you know, Donna Summers, uh, MacArthur Park. Well, you know, where did they come up with who left the cake out in the rain? And, you know, hey, were you listening, did you listen to Casey Kasem's countdown last weekend? And, Oh yeah! By the way, we got to do our pregame interview, and then we talk a little more about the game. And now, forty-five minutes later, we walk out of there with with Kevin. His first year, he almost wanted to be like the anti-Joe. You know, he wanted yeah. to be on the field and whatever Joe did. You know, some people said maybe you shouldn't do. And we would go in there for a seven-minute interview, and he tried to get it done in five. I mean, it was <laughs> it was like pulling teeth for a while there. And uh, you know, but then you know, got a little more confidence, got you know a little more uh, you know settled into the gig and. I, I, his baseball knowledge is really, really impressive. And I think, you know, again, you pick a lot of it up by being a catcher yeah. with the game in front of you and seeing everything. His, uh, you know, the job he does handling some of the players. And, you know, this day and age with these guys, I mean, a lot of it's about knowing when you need to kind of kick them in the butt when just a lot of these guys have been enabled. And, you know, they've never had anybody get on them before. And I'll, I'll talk to umpires who say, a lot of the times we're the first guys who have ever told them they're doing something wrong. And so... That's a job in itself, you know, handling the psyche of a lot of these guys. Sure. Then obviously now when you add the opener to the equation, a lot of American League managers don't even start managing in the seventh inning. Kevin's got to manage with one out in the first. And, you know, in the job he did last year to get us 90 wins was just incredible. So the confidence that Kevin has, nothing nothing phases him. I, you know, it's not one of, there haven't been too many things where I've walked up to him the next game or later on and said, did you expect that coming? He, he, he sees a lot of things. And he picks up a lot more things than I've, I've ever even thought of. He's a very, very good baseball guy. And the Rays are very, very fortunate to have him because if, if our, our front office, which always has foresight, there's no question about it, did not do what they did to sign him to an extension, there would have been a lot of teams looking at a Kevin Cash to their uh, 
management manager position because he's, he's that good. He's done a great job with his own uh, coaching staff now, obviously, with Kyle Snyder. Well, you think about that. Guys, I mean, I mean that, the old saying is you can't fire the, the team. Yeah. But if you go back to 2015 when he first started, there was only like one player there that was there from the beginning, and that's Kiermaier. Snell showed up a little bit later, mm-hmm. and then uh, Duffy showed up a little bit later. And then you look at his coaching staff, and everybody's gone except for Stan Borowski. So you can fire the team, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. You know, Kevin's held it all together. That's a lot of transition for three or four seasons that he's been able to kind of bring into the fold and put together. I mean, uh, it is. It's, it's an incredible job by him. What do you think, uh, this American League East, the Yankees obviously are going to get some players back uh, as we sit here. Mm-hmm. The Rays have been at or, or at the top or near the top of the AL East. Are the Red Sox going to get back in it, or is this a two-team race? I can't count the Red Sox out. There's too many people on that team that are good. That you know, and there's there's still too many bad teams in the American League that well, the Red Sox are going to go in there, and that offense is going to light up mediocre pitching. Yeah, that pitching staff between Sale and Price and Porcello, and you know they're going to get a couple more guys. That you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they add somebody before the season's over. Sure, uh, Dave Dabrowski's a very good GM. They're going to be right there in the mix. I, I can't count the Red Sox out. I, I enjoy when they lose, um, but they're, they're, I think they're just too good to go away, to go totally away. So I, I'm not counting them out. Um, I, I think, you know, as well as the Yankees have played, uh, I don't get into war and everything. I don't look at it, but I can't believe that, you know, some of these guys that are going to come back are going to do better than what D.J. LeMahieu has done or be better than what Gio Urshela has done exactly. offensively and defensively. Now, will, you know, Aaron Judge maybe be better than what Clint Frazier has done in right field? Yeah, there's probably a chance of that, but... For a guy that's missed a lot of time, sometimes you never know. And the same thing with Giancarlo Stanton. So mm-hmm. it's all about, uh, you know, and their pitching staff is kind of being held together right now by some duct tape too. So um, their, their bullpen hasn't been as lights out as they thought. With Patanzas having his issues. So, mm-hmm. you know, the Yankees probably were thinking, hey, we just went, whatever their record was, like 20 games over 500, and they couldn't shake the Rays. I mean, we went through a little bit of a spell where we, did, we were just playing like 500 baseball. You look up, we're only two and a half games back, and now we're tied, tied yeah. going into the games today. But, uh, yeah. you know, they didn't shake us. So I, I think there's going to be a three-team race in the American League East till the end. I mean, obviously, you look at the Blue Jays and the Orioles. I think that's where the difference make it, That's where the difference in the league in the division is going to be played out. How do you do against the Orioles and the, and the Blue Jays? The, the Red Sox and the Yankees and us, if we go in there and you lose two out of three and have a bad weekend and another team goes in there and sweeps, that's where the ground's going to be made up. So... Um, the Yankees' formula and the Red Sox' formula for success over the years has always been handle, just kind of play 500 against the team that you're, you're trying to beat, and then dominate the other teams. And that's mm-hmm. a we, we, you know, losing two out of three to the A's at home doesn't help us. I know the A's, I don't think they're going anywhere. I think they're going to make a run before it's all said and done. They're in about the same spot they were a year ago when they took off and ended up winning 97 games. So I'm not counting them out because, again, there's so many bad teams in the American League right now that. You know, a lot of teams could probably get on an incredible run because they're going to play, you know, the, the, the Orioles and the Blue Jays back-to-back and then maybe go see uh, one of the bad teams out west or, in, you know, another one of the teams in Detroit or some of Kansas City in the Central. So you, you can have one of those three or four-game series against a real, real bad team and get on an incredible run. Our thanks to Dave Wills, and we'll have more in-depth conversations with him the next two days about his Chicago roots as a player and a broadcaster, about how he went from single A to the big leagues and then became the voice of the Rays, of course, with Andy Freed. So you don't want to miss any of that. Some fabulous stories from our visit to Dave's dugout. We got in this conversation uh, last week a little bit about Big Poppy, David Ortiz, of course, and the Red Sox, about him being the most beloved player probably in their history, I would imagine. And uh, 
you know, a couple weeks ago, the city of Tampa unveiled a statue of Leroy Selman, so it got us to thinking, who is the most beloved player or coach for the Rays, for the Bucks, and for the Lightning? We asked Mark Tompkin, the Rays beat writer for the Tampa Bay Times, to share his thoughts about the biggest fan favorite for the Rays. <laughs> I could probably give you a couple that aren't the most beloved, but, you know, it's interesting, and, and you know, without, without spending a ton of time researching that, I mean, Longoria. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It jumps to mind just because of the longevity and the success he had uh, yeah. here you know, on the field and as a leader of the team. I think Kiermaier among the current group certainly has a, a very popular amount of fans. But I'm going to give you another name of... And he, the guy is actually going through a little bit of a rough spot right now, and his, his future in the game is a little bit in doubt. But Ben Zobrist, when he was here, I think he was a player who really would fit that category. I think fans really related to him, the way he came to the Rays, you know, unheralded as a minor leaguer, and, and really kind of blossomed into an all-star player. And, you know, very humble, very approachable, uh, very well-respected, well-mannered. So I, I'd say be out of that group. And you know, if you wanted to spread it to coaching a little bit too, I mean, obviously Joe Madden had a pretty good run as the face of this franchise. And, you know, people were maybe rubbed a little wrong way they thought by how he left or you know, took advantage of a clause that was, you know, fully within his right in his contract. But I, I think Joe Madden would be in that conversation as well. So interesting you say Zobris because so much of what the Rays have become, you have players that are more Zobris-like now <clears throat> than you did even back then. Absolutely. And he was kind of the model for the, the whole uh, multi-positional player type thing that you see pretty much every team have now, too. Really interesting choice of Ben Zobrist. You know, I've heard that in the past from Rays fans and from Mark in discussing it with him uh, just about how uh, what a connection that, that fans had. I know a lot of people thought that Zobrist was their favorite. And, and because of all he represented, the fact he came up as a 19-year-old shortstop and, you know, uh, played so many different positions and that sort of thing. So really interesting that he that he went that way. I would think it was a slam dunk it was Evan Longoria. And, and I'll stick by that. I I haven't done a poll, and Mark is probably right because he's closer to the team and that fan base than I am. I can't imagine a player who meant more to the organization than Evan Longoria because, you know, he came up as a rookie, hit it hit it big instantly, led them to a World Series, for goodness sakes, was a multi-time all-star and a guy that just carried himself so well, rarely missed a game, wasn't injured very much. Um, you know, they called him the babe. I mean, they called him you know, Ward number 3, and, and that's sort of the reverence that – that clubhouse and that organization had for Evan Longoria, plus the roots that he has in this area, you know, with duckies and, and all of that. So I, I think it's Evan Longoria, Steve. I don't, I don't disagree with Mark that he knows probably better, but I, I really am surprised it wasn't just obvious. I think it, I think it probably is Evan, but I, I think there's a couple things with that. Is one, Ben Zobrist is one where you never hear anyone say a bad thing about him. That's true. You know, there always was criticism of Longoria. He didn't, his average wasn't high enough for certain years. He didn't have enough home runs, et cetera. Mm, uh, I, I think some of that's unwarranted. But the other thing is some of the comments Evan Longoria has made since he's left the team in regards to mm. attendance and can the area support baseball and, and that. I think that, that diminishes a little bit. But I, I probably think Evan's probably the most beloved. But it's hard to argue against Joe Madden as well. 
I mean, yeah, Joe know, was, he, yeah. he was the face of this franchise. I mean, Evan Longoria was, was the best player and, 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 and very beloved, but he wasn't, a, he wasn't one who spoke out a lot or you saw a lot in the media. He, he was more quiet, um, where Joe Madden was everywhere and, and out there every day supporting this franchise and, and really brought them from a hundred lost seasons to, you know, the world series in 2008. And, and, you know, it's a player's play, but Madden was a huge part of that. And for so long too. You really could yeah. go any way on those. He's such a big personality, and, and he's become such a, a big figure in baseball, of course. I mean, you know, forever, historically, mm-hmm. uh, will be linked with the Cubs and winning a World Series, first time in 100-and-something years. I mean, that's that's probably going to be, you know, the first line on his resume, and, mm-hmm. and for good reason. Um, but he was well-known before he got to Chicago. That's how he got that job. Um, and because of the sort of, the, you know, the things he brought to baseball, the different ideas uh, – you know, lightening it up with uh, whether it was the you know the theme road trips or uh, you know penguins in the in the clubhouse. I mean, it just you know it never stopped with Joe. But he's certainly the most colorful and um, you know got his team to the playoffs. What four out of six years at one point. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I I I think Madden is yeah Madden could certainly be there with Longoria too. I mean those you know and the funny thing is is that of all those guys we've mentioned, I know Zobris won a World Series with Kansas City. He won one with the Cubs. So he's had success after leaving here for sure. Um, but you'd say that Madden, Madden's star probably rose the most, right, after he left Tampa Bay. I mean, certainly Longoria has struggled with the Giants. Well, when you reverse you that curse in Chicago, him. I mean, it's hard to get bigger than that. No, nothing does. Nothing gets bigger unless you were the guy to have done it with the Red Sox and it already was done. So, yeah, I, I would agree. So Joe Madden is, uh, would be a good choice as well. Um, you know, I got to thinking about the, the Bucks, and they did the unveiling of a statue, which, you know, probably is long overdue with Leroy Selman for what he meant, not just to the Bucks, but to this area. Certainly uh, with USF, I don't know if you saw the statue. It's very interesting. You know, he's not wearing a uniform. He's not wearing shoulder pads. He's wearing a number 63, you know, kind of Bucks jersey, um, you know, over top of a dress shirt with a collar. And uh, in fact, he's you know he doesn't have a helmet or anything like that. He's just smiling and has his hand, um, his left hand set up in a in a, uh, in a like a bull's horns up uh, sort of structure. Which, by the way, really scared Oklahoma fans because it, it looks for all the world like he's doing the hook 'em horns, <laughs> long, Texas Longhorns thing. So they had no, no, no. It's USF. I promise. It's USF. Um, so uh, I don't think many o- o- OU fans will be happy about that statue. But it's it is it is sort of. You know, the question has to be asked, like, why isn't that outside of Raymond James Stadium? Um, what did it, why did it take so long for Leroy Selman to be, uh, you know, sort of memorialized this way? Um, and, and you know, who else would you sort of put in that company, if anybody? And, uh, you know, I think there might be a difference between fan favorite and greatest of all time. Um, we can certainly debate those things are different in, in terms of, you know, I mean, Leroy Selman was the first Bucks Hall of Famer, but he wasn't a first ballot Hall of Famer, yet he was the first overall pick, arguably the greatest player, and, and, and there is an argument with that with Derek Brooks um, going in as a first ballot. Even Warren Sapp was a first ballot Hall of Famer, so you only got three plus, plus Tony Dungy. I mean, don't forget how popular Dungy was, and John Gruden was the one that actually won the Super Bowl here, so he certainly had his popularity as well, as well as his detractors. So it's a, you know, the Bucks have been in business now for 40, going on 45 years, I think, and so it's a little, you know, there's a lot more candidates, right? I mean, uh, when, you, when you think about them, and, and we mentioned Leroy Selman, 
Um, you know, to me, Derek Brooks is Mr. Buck. You know, he he sort of wears that title because of what he has done on and off the field, starting with the Brooks Bunch way back when. Um, you know, continuing on with his uh, his foundation and the Brooks the Bartolo uh, Collegiate High School that bears bears his name. Uh, just just you know what what he has meant from a community standpoint, and also uh, no one will ever forget the fact that he won Defensive Player of the Year. And, and really was the leader of that great defense in 2002 that led the Bucks uh, to win over the you know the Raiders in Super Bowl 30 30 uh, what was it 37. So I think um, I think Derek Brooks to me has has kept his visibility here in, in you know general manager at, at one time of the Tampa Bay Storm. So so much visibility and goodwill um, to me. You know a lot of people will, will would agree that that he might be. The most popular, I think, John Lynch, you know, was certainly a guy that people loved. Work done for the brief time he was here. Um, still, you know, buying homes for uh, single parent families and things like that. Warren Sapp had the opportunity to be that guy, but off the field, his personality just didn't allow it. It just was too abrasive and rubbed people the wrong way at times. Um, and some of the off-field stuff, I think, probably uh, prevented his, you know, sort of fan favoritism from from maybe rising, although there were an awful lot of 99 jerseys in that stadium when he was humming, and there probably wasn't a better player on that defense, you know, top to bottom, uh, outside of Derek Brooks than Warren Sapp. I mean, when you come back and see that maybe only three players in the history of the game have done what Warren Sapp did with winning a Super Bowl, um, you know, being defensive player of the year, and doing it from the defensive tackle position, which is uh, more rare still. The guy that, that I think is Mike, it's Mike Allstott. Uh, I don't I don't pretend to know exactly how how or why this is so, but I think if you're talking about a fan favorite, like if you lined all these guys up and who gets the biggest applause, he'll never make the Hall of Fame. He made six Pro Bowls. Um, you know, he played for a good while here, but it, it's more about what he represented to this area and sort of the connection he had to fans. Again, another guy that's done a lot, of, uh, you know, with charity, um, with his family foundation, uh, you know, coached high school football here. Um, you know, has, has remained in the community and been very visible. But, but Mike Allstott represented, I think, you know, this, this sort of blue-collar work ethic that Tampa fans, you know, Tampa Bay fans really related to the A-train and, you know, just, just uh, a guy, you know, that you didn't see many, many running backs of his size. He, wasn't, he was listed as a fullback, was really more of a, more of a, of a tailback and ran from the tailback position. Uh, and and people just connected with him, and they always have connected with him. And I I don't think you'll ever see uh, a jersey that was more popular than number forty when when the Bucks were really humming. You saw fifty five, you saw ninety nine, you saw a lot of them, but number forty was the one that I saw the most, and still see uh, to this day. If you look at uh, kind of the retro jerseys and the people that come back uh, to Raymond James, so if we're talking about a fan favorite, if we're talking about the most popular. Even though all three other guys are in the Pro Football Hall of Fame and Derek Brooks, to me, is still Mr. Buck and Leroy Selman might be the greatest of all time that, they, that they've had in the organization for a lot of reasons, I think it's Mike Allstott. That's an interesting pick, and I wonder if some of that isn't, you know, Tampa Bay is known for defense. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, Leroy Selman to Derek Brooks, Warren Sapp, John Lynch, no Rondé question. Barber. Uh, you know, you didn't mention Rondé in there either. No, and Rondé should absolutely be there, and he would be he would be very high on the list. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if if Allstott's love isn't because 
they're not known for offense, but he was a power. He was a force on offense at a time when they didn't have a lot of good offense on this team. That's true. Yeah. And, and it's still, you have to score points to win. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the defense, you don't have to score many when you had that defense on the other side of the ball. Seven, give me 17, they but, said. But yeah. Allstott was the, the one guy that was there for a long time that was consistent on offense. You know, I, I think, you know, you can almost see a Mike Evans kind of becoming that guy on this offense mm-hmm. over time as he continues to, you know, look, he's one of the best receivers in the league and he's still young. Sure, sure. Uh, but I wonder if some of that's just because he's, you know, we've had so many good defenders on the Bucks team that – they didn't have a lot of good offensive players back then. I wonder if that's part of what makes him beloved as much. Oh, too. I think I think it is. I really think it is. And I also think it's the style of play. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, it should be in my mind, it should be Derek Brooks. You know, in my mind, that that to me is is the guy that that pops in my mm-hmm. mind when I think about the Bucks, him or Leroy. Um and and there's a lot of great players. Rondé, Rondé's right there. He might be third in my list, but I just I'm telling you when I'm around fans, nothing excites them more or excited them more than the A train. And 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 it was it was his style, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was the bruising sort of never die um, you know, uh, didn't have much to say off the field, just you know, the old cliche, you know, bring your lunch pail guy and um and and he started, you know, he he was part of that with Brooks and Lynch, wore the orange, you know. Um, you know, was, was that guy that that linked the past to the to the present and um, you know, of course, came in, was drafted by Tony Dungy, uh, second round out of Purdue. Not many people knew about him and, and just sort of, yeah, he became their offense. They built an offense around him at a time when, when you know, few people could do it. And look, I'm not going to escape the fact that he was a white running back either. Um, you know, something you don't see in this game very much. And, and so uh, regardless, I mean, I think that, you know, Mike just sort of connected with fans and the, the whole – you know, when that train whistle blew in that stadium, it was it was big time. You know, the man had his own whistle. You know, <laughs> I mean, think about that. I mean, he couldn't just make a play. You know what I mean? And people applaud. No, they they blew the damn train whistle. So the A train had his own persona. You know, and he was, you know, did the radio show. We talked about Steve Dumig in the past, and you know, everybody had to tune in to listen to what Mike Allstott had to say with Steve. So. Uh, it's weird. I can't explain it, but I, I like Mike. I like all these guys. I like I said, for me, uh, Mr. Buck is always going to be Derek Brooks. Um, you know, he played his whole career here. So did Mike. Uh, but then, you know, the other thing too was like Mike had that neck fracture, and they fused his vertebrae together, Steve, and he came back and played in the National Football League again. Um, you know, until until it became such in such bad shape that he had to retire. Um, I'll never forget that day. So. Yeah, I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Mike Allstott. But again, this is just an opinion. It doesn't mean I'm right. Um, but to me personally, I think it would be Derek Brooks. So for the Tampa Bay Lightning, Steve, you're out there an awful lot. Um, I, I, off the top of my head, I mean, the guy who's the most decorated for the Tampa Bay Lightning would probably be, undoubtedly, be Marty St. Louis, who's in the Hall of Fame. I mean, I know Dave Anderchuk is there as well. Didn't play his whole career here, obviously. Just mm-hmm. was captain at the 2004 team, but then Marty left under some less than ideal circumstances and the fans kind of turned on him. Yeah, kind of the Evan Longoria thing, although a little different, but, you know, I mean, Marty's got the, the, the game six overtime goal in Calgary to force game seven of the Stanley Cup, um, you know, from goal scoring to, and, and a lot of, you know, the legend of Marty, you know, undrafted player that they found, mm-hmm. small mm-hmm. guy that was said never could make it, um, just outworked everybody. And, 
You know, no matter how many obstacles or, or things people said he couldn't do, he did. Um, you know, it's that kind of that the all stop where it's just that work ethic, that motor that 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 people love. You know, Vinny LeCavalier, number one overall draft pick. What Vinny has done in this community and rubbed off on other players to help the community and stuff. I think LeCavalier is very well beloved in this in this organization in this town. John Tortorella. You know, he, he's the coach so. that got them to the Stanley Cup and, and you know, yeah. helped, I wouldn't say turn around a franchise. I mean, Tim Taylor and Dave Andertruck and that was part of it. But, you know, Tortorella drove those players. And, you know, a lot of those players hated Tortorella when they played for him, and they love him now. And, and you know, mm-hmm. that he, he drove them hard and made them a much better team. And, you know, we even saw him knock out the franchise, you know, the NHL record-setting franchise in four games this year as his coach of the Blue Jackets. Um, mm-hmm. You know how how good of a coach he is. I think Steven Stamkos is on that list. Although I think his how beloved he'll be will depend on if this group wins a cup or two, he might become the most beloved member of this franchise. I that's the only thing he's missing, right? right. I mean, right. It, it really is. Without the cup, uh, I I think it might change how people feel about his career. Although it's 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 I mean he's the all time goal scorer, so mm-hmm. you know he he's got the numbers, right? Yeah, I mean, look, he's going to go down as one of the greatest Lightning players ever, if not the greatest. I mean, we'll see how guys like Kucherov and that do, too. Sure. But as good as this team has been now on a five- or six-year run, they don't mm-hmm. have a cup. They don't. You know, Marty and Vinny have that cup. Tortorella coached that cup. You know, I mean, right. John Cooper's pretty well-beloved. He is. You know, and, and, and but until he wins a cup, he won't, be, he won't be the most beloved in this franchise. So Stamkos and, and Cooper, I think, are still to be right. But I'll still say the most beloved person in this franchise. And I, I would have said Marty, except for him wanting a trade out in that. And granted, a lot of those wounds of field, they've retired his number now and, and, and things sure, like that. Sure. But the most beloved member of the Lightning is still Phil Esposito. He's the one who oh, brought this franchise choice. to Tampa yeah, Bay. Yeah, you're right. You're he right. He was its general manager for years. He's now on the radio broadcast. There's a statue of him out in front of, out, yep. out of Amelie Arena. He's probably the, the first one he's, they did. He's, he's an NHL mm-hmm. Hall of Famer. He retired as the number two goal scorer in the NHL. Granted, that wasn't here in Tampa Bay, but hockey's not yeah. here in Tampa Bay if it's not for Phil Esposito. And oh, so, so we're not having this conversation about Le Cavalier or St. Louis <laughs> or Stamkos or anybody else if it's not for Phil Esposito. That's true. And so I, I think it's Phil, although I think Stamkos could become the most beloved, especially if they end up winning a couple cups in the next few years. And granted, obviously easier said than done based on the results this year, yeah. but. But if that happens, yeah. that, that could change that. But I think Phil Esposito is the most beloved Lightning. I, that's a great choice. He's the founder, which is enough. He was the first statue outside that building. I know they added Andrew Chuck later. But, yeah, that's, that's a terrific choice. And, and the thing you said about not winning a cup, I think could be said about Tony Dungy. You know, if mm-hmm. Tony Dungy had won a Super Bowl, uh, he, would, he I think might hand, be the most hands down he would be the most beloved. And I didn't even mention him. Um, but he certainly is on that list, right? Because uh, and mm-hmm. Tony Dungy still lives here. He won a Super Bowl in Indianapolis, but people have, have had a connection. Tampa has been his home. He raised his kids here. He lost a child here. I mean, there's such a connection. I still see him out at Idlewild, you know, at the soccer fields all the time. And, and of course, he's still uh, working in sports, uh, you know, covering football for NBC on Sunday night. But um, Dungy would have been that guy, hands down, if he'd have just won a Super Bowl. And even though Gruden did, I don't think, I don't think Gruden won enough, you know, to and, and sort of, you know, Chucky's personality, um, you know, the team was different every year. I don't know that he has the same reverence, uh, even though a lot of people love love John Gruden. Don't don't mistake that because he brought him a Super Bowl. But 
Um, but uh, Dungey could have been that guy had he had he won one for mm-hmm. sure. But yeah, Phil Esposito, I, I I agree with that. That's a good pick. Let us know your thoughts of the most beloved player for the Rays, the Bucks, or the Lightning. You can do that on Twitter at SportsDayTB. We'd be anxious to see how you guys agree or disagree uh, with some of our comments on that. Hey, tomorrow we're going to have Dave Wills, who's just a great storyteller. You won't want to miss uh, his stories and how he went from being a player to coach to broadcaster. Part two of our interview from Dave's dugout. And the Rays continue their series in New York against the Yankees. We'll also have later this week Bucks quarterback coach Clyde Christensen and a very good interview with him, uh, which you won't want to miss as well. So for Steve Burstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great Tuesday, everybody. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 